Well, let me tell you about these men. They couldn't be more opposite. But as opposite as they are, they both have some features that are the same. They are both gifted speakers and command a great movement. They move a lot of people. One man has the largest radio audience in the world. The other helped put together the Million Man March. But there is another feature that's the same about both of them. Neither one of them can physically be present in every meeting of their movement. In other words, Farrakhan cannot be of every nation of Islam mosque. Neither can Rush Limbaugh be at every Starbucks when the ditto heads get together with their laptops, okay? You and I have the only movement where the founder attends every meeting. Let it get in you right now. Clap your hands right now. We're the only one. And you know, I'm going to tell you just because I got to get this out. Doesn't matter what you think of this meeting. To God, this is the most important night. To God, this is the most important church. God believes in this meeting. God is filled with a sense of the value of tonight, Monday night. See all of you here? This is a good crowd on a Monday night, I'm telling you. I know the Bay Area. Y'all showed up and you're going to be blessed. But just put your hand over your heart. Say, big things are coming to me. Great things will happen to me. My life will be changed because Jesus is in the house. I believe he's here and all things are possible in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody clap real loud and shout for the Lord. Come on, shout. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to dismiss the musicians and the singers. Go back to their seats. I want all of you to listen very carefully. One day I got on a Southwest Airlines flight. I used to have to pray a lot before I could get on Southwest Airlines. One day I had to pray especially hard because I got a middle seat. Yeah, look at me. That's of the devil, the middle seat. The window's okay. The aisle's the best. But that middle seat, that's purgatory right there. I got on the plane, and I'm trying to stay sweet. How many of you have ever had trouble staying sweet? Wave your hand at me right now. Man, I'm in there, and I said, God, I got to fly two hours from Phoenix to Oakland, and I got to be sweet for all two hours. The guy on the aisle needed to buy two tickets. Amen. That's all I'm going to say about him. Now, there was a 19-year-old girl by the window. 
And so I'm trying to be sweet. I said to her, hi, my name is Mario. And she said in this exact voice, I know who you are. Man, I'm waiting for her head to spin around and that pea soup to come out right at me. I maybe know what I'm talking about. Give the Lord praise right now. By the way, I see evangelist Joseph Olberg here. Would you stand up, Joseph? Come on, man. Give this great man of God a great big hand. Yeah. So I'm sitting there trying to be sweet. Whoa. I said, Jesus loves you. She said, I can never be saved. She looked at me. That's hard. Because I believe anybody can be saved. I've seen bikers saved, homosexuals saved. I've seen addicts saved. I've, be, I've seen angry uh, atheists saved. I've seen lawyers saved. I was waiting for you to do something with that last one. And she said, I can never be saved. I went through a ritual where my soul was wedded to the devil. I married Satan in a satanic worship cult. And then she said, um, the reason I know you is that we played one of your DVDs and we walked around the monitor and put a curse on you. I said, when? <laughs> That's how I got this middle seat. It, it was a curse from the devil. She said, 30 days ago, I said, it's been a rough month. I'll give you that part. And I said, Lord, I think I've met the first hopeless case. And the Lord said, I have proof that she's not hopeless. And I said, Lord, what is the proof that she is not hopeless? He said, who is she sitting next to? And then the Lord said, I didn't put you next to her so you could become a Satanist. I think you need to give me an amen on that one. I maybe believe I was not there to become a Satanist. So I told her, I never sit next to anyone by accident. Second of all, I never sit in the middle seat. And I said, here we go. In a post 9-11 world, you can't do an exorcism at 35,000 feet. I said, Lord, I can't do that. But God did it. He delivered her. Look at me, delivered her. By the time we were coming in to final approach in Oakland Airport, she went from a devil worshiper to a child of God. Give Jesus the praise. Because I have a lot in my heart to share with you tonight, and I'm going to get from one point to another as quickly as I can, I'm going to look at you and tell you, I don't believe that anyone has ever heard me preach by accident. That is not a symbol of pride in myself. 
That is a factual feeling in my soul about the fact that the Word of God says the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. And it says that a man will plan his way, but God will direct his steps. Tonight you are here by divine, by divine design. You're sitting where you're sitting, right where you're supposed to, right on time. Let me tell you what you think. You think you ought to keep your problems. You think you ought to keep your anger. You think you ought to hold on to your habits. That's your opinion. But you, my friend, walked into this house on your own free will. And from the moment you sat down, somebody else started bringing plans for you. And you're going to change. You're going to go from addiction to restoration to power to glory and to be given by God a powerful, powerful touch. That's going to happen to you. Now, I want you to sit through the sermon, but at a given point, I'm going to call you out of your seat to the front. Let me tell you, a man said there are three things you never should do in a modern audience. You should never make them stand up, never make them raise their hand, never make them walk forward. I read that article. So now I want you to feel calm that I'm going to do all three of those. <laughs> so you can relax now. I want all of you to say the name of this sermon tonight with me. A new breed for a new need. How many of you believe America has changed? Wave your hand at me right now. How many of you believe that people are demon-possessed today in record numbers? Help me with, a, with an amen on that. How many of you believe that evil is more rampant than ever before and that every day you read or see something in the paper that makes you to know that people are lower and deeper and more vile than they have ever been in history? It seems like every day we outdo something. No one in this room has been left untouched by violence in the Bay Area. We are now at that point. They used to say things in the Bay Area like one out of every hundred people has been touched by violence in the Bay Area. A few years goes by, they said one out of every 50 people has been touched by violence in the Bay Area. Now we have all been touched by violence in the Bay Area. The devil has created new kinds of women and new kinds of men, new kinds of perversion, new kinds of evil. Heaven is not passive. God is going to create a new breed of Christian in the Bay Area. No, I'm the, not, not that kind. The kind that will amen real loud and clap real loud. That, whoa, don't, I don't mean, I'm not, I'm not getting on your case, but that was like a gentle spring rain. Everybody take a deep breath. Let me finish the point. See, we rewind the tape. It almost looked like you did this by on your own. All right. There's new evil in the Bay Area. There's new kind of sin, new kind of women, new kind of children, new kind of killers, new kind of gangsters. The Lord is not passive. He's going to create a new breed of Christian. 
Everybody said amen. amen. The highest ranking officer in the Navy ever to be captured in the prisoner of war was captured in a small island off of Japan, placed in a military prisoner of war camp for two years, became skin and bone, was tortured. The strangest assignment that any soldier was ever given was given to a young Marine. He was told, we're going to drop you off by yourself on this island. We're going to make you go through the jungle by yourself. Break through enemy lines and break into a prison. How many of you know, usually you're trying to break out of a prison. They told him to break into a prison. And to carry a message to the highest ranking American officer ever to be in prison. During a time of war. Here's the message. We won. The Japanese have surrendered. They've signed the Declaration of Surrender on the USS Missouri. We dropped two atomic bombs, one on Nagasaki and another on Hiroshima. And the Emperor of Japan and the Supreme Commander of the Military of Japan has surrendered. We've won. Now let me tell you something. When he got to him, which is a miracle, he stood in the compound and he said, Sir, I'm a Marine. I have placed my life in jeopardy to get to you, to tell you that you are required to take this prison under the authority of the United States Navy. You are to command the prisoner and the warden to turn everything over to you. You're to let every American go free that is in this prison. Let me tell you what he looked like. He looked like 90 pounds of devastation. He felt like death. But that doesn't change the reality of the document that was signed on the USS Missouri. Doesn't matter how he feels. Doesn't matter how he looks. Doesn't matter what he thinks. And so he goes in and puts on his naval uniform. It's hanging on him. It doesn't fit him. He puts on his hat. He's wearing his medals and he shines his shoes and he walks into the commandant's office and he said, I hereby take this entire camp in the name of the United States Navy. You are now my prisoner. I am not your prisoner. And the commandant got up and said, if you don't immediately take that stupid uniform off and return to your cell, I'm going to have you tortured. He said, you lay a hand on me, you'll be tried as a war criminal. Because regardless of whether you want to admit it or not, and you know what? The commandant had gotten a communication that they had surrendered, but he didn't want to let it go. He wanted to live a lie. Let me tell you something. Everybody look at me. How you feel, how you look, how I feel, how I look is irrelevant. Because on the cross, a document was signed. Oh, no. We're not going to get off cheap tonight. On the cross, a document was signed. And it says we won. It says we won. 
It says we won. I'm getting ready for some blessing right now. It says we won. We won. We won over cancer. We won over the AIDS virus. We won over crack cocaine. Help me somebody. We won over every demon in hell. Sir, the Marine said, I realize you're a prisoner of war. Your body is wrecked with pain. You're exhausted. But that does not change the facts. The facts remain. We have won. The enemy is lost. Now, let me tell you, when he stood in there and refused to back down, and he looked that commander right in the eye, and he said, in the name of the U.S. forces of the naval and the Pacific, I take this prison. All of a sudden, this Japanese officer hung his head, untied his sword, and handed it to him. And the power was shifted because the power was enforced. There's been a breed of believer in the house of God in the Bay Area that reads the word but doesn't enforce it. There's been a breed of Christian that reads the word but doesn't feel like they can bring themselves into line with what it really does say. I know how you feel, but this book says you won. I said, look, I know you think you need money, but this book says you won. I'm waiting on you right now. You may be sick. You may be tired. You may feel weak. You may have been told you're a loser, but if the blood of Jesus Christ is inside of you, there are articles of victory written, and God wants you to enforce them. Over here, give me an amen right now. Over here, give me an amen right now. Over here, give me an amen right now. I said we won. We won. We won. We won. It is finished. Oh, pardon me if I have a private rapture. Hallelujah. So, Mario, what was the first point of your sermon? You must enforce the power of the cross despite circumstances. It means that all of the authority of heaven stands ready to defend and strengthen your efforts. Anybody blessed yet? That means that any anger or resentment you see is directed at God and not at you because the battle is not yours, it is the Lord's. The call of God on your life must be more real than anything else about you. One day I got upgraded to first class. How many of you know it works in first class? How many of you know on a plane there's two levels of service? First class and no class. <laughs> if I sound bitter over jets right now, it's because I've been flying all year. So I'm up in first class flying to L.A. from Dallas, Texas, when I saw my favorite actor in the whole world. I'm a serious fan of this guy. Well, who was it, Mario? Well, let me just say, it made my day to see him. Right? So I walked over to him, and I had no, look, 
I'm going to get an autograph right there. And all I could find was a napkin, and I had one pen with the ink skipped. And I was so nervous. How many of you have been nervous, right? Here's my hero, the star, right? I'm going to get, in, I'm going to get his autograph. And when I walked up to him, because I was nervous, what I said, what I meant to say didn't come out. It came out backwards. I said, what an honor for you to meet me. And you know what? I'm going to tell you something. I was right. Because all he could give me was an autograph. But I could give him eternal life. Help me somebody. I could give him entrance to God. Because I was a new breed. I could open the book and say, you might be in the eyes of the world of a movie star and all I am is an upgrade. But I am washed in the blood of the Lamb. I am a child of God. I'm, I'm going to wait is anybody getting this right now? The call on God on your life must be more real than anything else about you. Say, I am called. I'm going to try it again. I'm called. Look at me. You were called. You were called. The Bible says that there is a calling on every man, woman, boy, and girl who is born again, there's a call on you. And a calling that is absolutely to become your identity. Let me say it another way. When a life lacks destiny, though it boasts of everything else, it is nothing but a leaf in the wind. The life that knows it is here on purpose and by design, Cannot be stopped by anything. Hallelujah. You know, look, I preach in a far more sedate manner when I'm somewhere else. But when I'm at Victory Outreach, I preach a whole different way. And I'm going to tell you why. Because you, we all know what it felt like to be in hell and get yanked out. We know what it was like to be pulled out from the flame. And you know what? We don't care anymore. Help me somebody. We don't care anymore. You are a soldier. I keep harping on this man that stood there in his uniform. Isn't it amazing that his first instinct was to put aside the prison garb and to put on the uniform of an officer and a gentleman and the leader and a man. You may not be educated by the world's standards. You may not belong to the right country club. You may not be allowed in the hoi polloi and the elite and the who's who. But when you are allowed to know Jesus Christ and you can pray in the holiest of holies, you are the most elite being in the universe. Woo! Keep clapping right now. Keep clapping. Let it get in you. 
What we need is to get the victory of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, and the magnificent glory of Jesus in our everyday life. We've got to become aware of it in ways we've never been before. Look at me right now. Listen to this saying. An army of lions led by a sheep will always be defeated by an army of sheep led by a lion. An army of lions led by a sheep will always be defeated by an army of sheep led by a lion. That's how much leadership means. We know when we watch a football team, we know when we watch an athletic team, the power of a coach to make 11 men act as a single unit or 11, five basketball players act as a single unit. There is the power of a leader to speak a legacy of victory. Things are terrible in the Bay Area right now. They are divided. They're horrible. They're torn to shreds. I'm just talking about the 49ers and the Raiders right now. There was a day when both of these teams would not even celebrate a victory in the playoffs. When they, when they would win during the playoffs, the Raiders or the 49ers, they would walk off the field like it was business as usual and would not pop a champagne bottle because this was what was in them. Madden put it in the Raiders and it was in the 49ers. We are only here for one purpose, to win the Super Bowl. We don't pop the champagne bottle till we win the world championship. That was in them. That was the legacy. That was this atmosphere of victory and excellence. That's what we've got to get from Jesus Christ. You've got to get this in you. You are not a loser. You're not an accident. You're not an orphan. You are not an also ran. You're not inferior. You're a part of the holiest army that has ever marched on the earth. Somebody get ready right now. Give God the glory. Come on, start praising the Lord right now. General Stormin Norman Schwarzkopf, who led our forces in the Middle East to liberate Kuwait. Let me tell you something about this man. He stood in front of 500,000 soldiers. I listened to the speech that he gave right before they went to war. Listen to his speech. I'm going to quote parts of it. You have the best weapons in the world. You have the best equipment in the world. You have the best battle plan that has ever been drawn up for any army in the history of the world. You have received the best training of any soldier in the world. Then he said something that blew my mind. You are the best soldiers that America has ever known. Now I looked in the eyes of those young soldiers and I thought to myself, if ever they doubted they could take over the world, it went away, it vanished in a moment. 
that general spoke something into them. And I'm going to start with you, and I want to see what you do. We have the best book in the world. I'm, I'm going to try again. I'm waiting on you. We have the best book in the world. It has the best promises in the world. It has the best weapons in the world. It has the best equipment in the world. It has the best training in the world. And we have the greatest general who ever lived. Oh, we need to shout right now. We need to shout. We are led by a lion. But we have to say we are soldiers. Say, I am a soldier. soldier. Say, I am a soldier. soldier. You got to be in Victory Outreach. Let me tell you something. You are in an army. Victory Outreach is not a church alone, it is an army. It is equipped, it is ready. It is on the move. It's on the march. I'll tell you. There is General Schwarzkopf, and then there is Pastor Sonny Argonzoni. I saw a picture that I, I tell you, it's a, it is an absolute uh, treasure. I saw a couch. On it was David Wilkerson. On it was Nikki Cruz. And on it was Sonny Argonzoni. And I tell you how honored David Wilkerson and Nikki Cruz were to sit with Sonny Argonzoni, who is a general. Help me. He's a general. You get around Sonny, you believe you can take over the world. I had lunch with him one day. I was ready to take a sledgehammer to the building. I said, I said, Pastor. You've given me so much vision, i got to get relief. Oh, come on. Do you know what I'm talking about? You look in his eyes, and you know that you know that you know we're going to make it. Now, here is what we've got to understand. The devil has cheapened your reason for being in the world. He's cheapened it. See, he's got you convinced that your goal is to stay off of drugs. And while in the first few months of your life with God, that is a noble and absolutely responsible goal, there comes a moment when you flip and your purpose changes. There comes a moment in a marriage where you say, we are never going to get divorced. There comes a moment in a business where you say, we are never going to go under. There comes a moment in the life of a believer where they say, I will never backslide. I am not going to backslide. You know what? Backsliding is not in my vocabulary anymore. There is something else that has come into me. I'm a soldier. I'm a soldier. And I will do my duty. And I will cross the finish line. And I will finish strong. Hallelujah. Am I preaching yet? So here is for you. My wife and I were listening to a preacher on TV. I'm not going to give you his name. He smiles a lot. God bless him. 
And my wife said, you know what, honey, I can tell you don't like this guy. What he say. I love him. I don't like what he's saying. And I was honest, you know. And, I, and she said, well, what's wrong with him? I said, he cheapens the purpose of the army of God. He diminishes the potential by exalting what is trivial and ignoring what is noble. He inadvertently gets us to believe that we are on the earth for a trivial reason. And let me explain what he meant. So he quoted Acts 10.38, which says these words. He said, Jesus went about doing good. Then he stopped. He said, that's what I want to his vast church. I want a church that does good. I want a church that bakes pies for the elderly, that will walk a blind man across the street, which will mow the lawn for, for the bedridden, will visit the elderly. I want a church that will do all that. And see how perfect that is as a weapon of the enemy? Who can possibly find fault with that? How can you criticize walking a blind man across the street baking a pie for somebody or mowing somebody's lawn? How can you criticize that? You can criticize it because of what he did to the verse. He didn't read the rest. Jesus went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. You know what? God doesn't just want you. Honey, look at me. I know your pies are delicious. But God doesn't, all, doesn't want you wearing an apron hanging in the kitchen all the time. He wants you to make the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, to lay hands on the sick and cast out devils in the name of Jesus. You are a soldier of the supernatural. Hold your hands up right now. Everybody say, there's healing in these hands. Now act like you mean it. Say, there's healing in these hands. There's healing in these hands. Amen. How many of you know it's not just flour in these hands? There's healing in this hand. We're not here to challenge Betty Crocker to a bake-off. Amen. That last line was good. I don't know where you got it, but it was good. Brother. Say amen, everybody. Yes, Jesus walked the blind man across the street. Usually it was after he gave him back his sight. I read The Purpose Driven Life, and I'm not going to criticize it because I think that would be highly inappropriate. But once again, I want you to see that I am not bashing anybody or anything. What I am doing is talking about the army of God, and the purpose on this earth. It is important for you to have a gigantic sense of meaning to you every day of your life. You have to know why you pray. You have to know why you get out of bed. You have to know why you've stayed on the earth. How many of you like Bugs Bunny? Raise your hand right now. Admit it, you like Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny is the coolest cartoon character that was ever created. Bar none. How many of you know the man was so bad he would kiss you before he beat you up? <laughs> How many of you know anybody that can tie a knot in your shotgun barrel 
is bad to the bone. Somebody clap for Bugs Bunny. Yeah, okay, now look. There's, there is a first. There's never been applause for Bugs Bunny ever at Hayward Victory Outreach in history. My son was 12 years old, and we got into an argument. He said, Dad, I, I know this cool cartoon. I said, cool cartoon? I said, son, your generation's been deprived of cartoons altogether. There have been no cartoons since Mel Blank went to heaven. There's been no cartoons. So I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, there was this mouse, a mouse. He said, now I know Mickey Mouse. No, this mouse got a big head and a little body. And it's a cartoon called Pinky and the Brain. How many of you remember it? So we had a debate. I watch Pinky and the Brain with him. He'll watch Bugs Bunny with me. Something happened I didn't expect. I like that mouse. I'm going to tell you why. Look at me. I'm going to tell you why I like the mouse. It's not fun being a mouse. My cat catches mice all the time. Let me tell you, it's not fun. He tortures them. He's like a picky eater. He sends his food back. Let me tell you something. This mouse in this cartoon has come to this solid conclusion. If I have to be a mouse and I have to live on the earth as a mouse, I'm going to take over the world. <laughs> Y'all can eat cheese, dodge cats, scare women. I'm going to take over the world. What are we going to do tonight, Pinky? Try to take over the world. Clap your hands right now. Now look. If you ever wanted to have your world turned upside down and inside out, you would listen to me preach a sermon about what heaven will be like. Because it is so unlike what you think heaven will be like. The last thing you're going to do in heaven is sit under a palm tree while an obese angel fans you and you're sipping root beer through a gold straw. Ain't going to happen. Heaven is so not like that, I don't even know where to begin. I would rather be in heaven than here. Help me somebody. How many of you know, there's no 880 traffic in heaven. There's no yellow rain in heaven. There's no IRS in heaven. Help me somebody. There are no thugs. There's no racism. There's no misery. There's no pain. There's no heartache. And there's no end. I want to go to heaven. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm looking you right in the eye. I would rather be in heaven than here. Some of y'all like it down here. Give me a break. I see an evangelist buy a mansion. I go, what is the deal? The mansion you've got in heaven is going to make this look like a corroded roach motel. Look at me. How many of you know Jesus did not say I go to repair a place for you? Come on, clap for Jesus. Now look. There's no insomnia in heaven. 
There's no strange relatives in heaven. There's no evil boss in heaven. There's no limbago in heaven. There's no arthritis in heaven. Oh, I'm telling you, I'd rather be in heaven. So I am not here on vacation. I'm not here for fun. I am a soldier. And if I have to be here, I'm going to take over the world. How many of you are going to come with me on this revelation right now? How many of you are going to come with me on this revelation? Purpose-driven life. (laughs) I'm not going to criticize it. When I hear somebody say, this is my purpose. I want you to imagine a young recruit from the Bay Area going into the Marines, standing at attention, first day he got his jarhead haircut. And the drill instructor said, why are you in this man's Marine Corps? And he says, I'm here to find my purpose. How many of you know what's coming next? How many of you know the swelling on his eyes isn't going to go down for three days? How many of you know the ears will not stop ringing for a week? Because he will be told, you have no purpose. The Marine Corps has a purpose. You have, soldier, an assignment within the purpose. And what were we here? What is our purpose? Your purpose is the purpose of Jesus Christ. Say this with me. Jesus is in me. Now we try it again. Jesus is in me. His purpose lives in me. He has given me an assignment within his purpose. And as a soldier, I have no private opinion. I obey orders. I attack. And I win every time in Jesus' name. Go ahead and get excited right now. The church is purpose-driven. That part is correct. But inadvertently, we have Americanized the purpose-driven life to where everyone's seeking their own individual purpose until God is in the business of herding cats instead of marshalling an army. The Bible tells us the purpose, the purpose, the purpose. Honey, look at me. You're not a housewife because you're not married to a house. Look at me, sir. You're not some macho dude from the hood, okay? You might have been. That might have been your old identity in your old neighborhood. That's not it now. You're not that. What you are is an extension of the purpose of Jesus Christ. His impulses are yours. His motivation is yours. What drives him drives you. And here's what the Bible says. For this purpose.
purpose was the Son of God revealed that he might destroy the works of the devil. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, if this doesn't ignite you, we have Latino ushers here with large buckets of cold refried beans. And they've been instructed to just throw it at you if you don't amen me right. Now, I'm, I'm not done yet. I, you're going to have to amen me right now. My mama, she loves me. How many of you believe my mama loves me? Okay. And I, every night I call my mama after I preach. She goes, mijo, did they amen you? Now, you may not like what I'm about to say, but I know you don't want to break my mother's heart. You are driven by a purpose. You are driven by a purpose. Look at me. You are driven by a purpose. You are driven by a purpose. You are driven by a purpose. Your purpose is to destroy the works of the devil. Your purpose is to destroy the works of the devil. For this purpose was the Son of God revealed. That he might destroy the works of... My mom will be very happy. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, says these words. When he called his 12 disciples, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Then he said in verse 7, As you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of God is at hand. Verse 8, Heal the sick. Cleanse the leper and raise the dead. Cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Someone will look at me with that Hayward look. And they'll say, Mario, this is limited to a handful of disciples. The breed evolved. The breed evolved. New need, new breed. In Mark 16, verse 17, Jesus said, The authority that I gave to a handful will now become a part of the DNA of every blood-bought believer. These signs will follow them that believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Clap your hands, everybody. If you're a part of the new breed, clap your hands right now. Come on, somebody. Clap your hands right now if you're part of the new breed. If you are a devil destroyer, give the Lord praise right now. Amen. Amen. My Father and my God, as I stand here in your presence with this holy congregation, and we're at the end of this sermon, we have a new breed. We are soldiers. We don't go by what we look because we know the documents of surrender have been signed. Lord, we understand by the word of God that we are here on this earth for a giant purpose. And Lord, we are 
an extension of your power to destroy the works of the devil. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you one more time. For I want to do nothing but your will. Nothing but your will. Tonight in your presence, you will see the power of God. Look me right in the eye. When you see the power of God operate in this room, do not credit it to a man. Give all the glory to God. How many of you heard what I just said? Added to that statement is that God not only doesn't want you to look at a man and give God give glory that belongs to God to a man. God also wants you to understand that this man standing up here is not some exclusive gift. But I am a model of what every believer can be who desires to be useful while they're on this earth. Now I want to begin. I'm going to ask my brother right here on the aisle. Son, what is your name? What's that? Good name. Amen. Matthew, do you believe in the power of God? I'm going to ask you to help me. You see this gentleman right there, wonderful man, all in black, over one more. Just go stand beside him right now. Everybody pray in a heavenly language right now. All of you men over here, pray in a heavenly language in the name of Jesus. My brother, I've asked him to put his hand on you. Because I believe that your time has arrived to receive a healing in your body. For God to heal you. Would you be willing to let God take every disease out of your body, sir? You will? Will you take a moment and don't be embarrassed. Just let me assure you that I would never in a million years impose on you except that God is at work. And I believe, my brother, that before you got here tonight, the Lord was telling you that something was going to happen to you in this meeting. Would you stand for a moment? Your spine is being healed. Your lower spine is being healed. The Lord is touching you in your lungs and in your heart. You're receiving a miracle from the hand of God. Matt, Matthew, you pray for it. Because power is extend, extending from your hand into his body. Everybody say Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Say Jesus. Now look at me here. Sometimes, sometimes I will know the exact person like I did in his case. I'm going to tell you, his heart, pancreas, his legs, his spine, his eyes are all being healed. It's a miracle. He's receiving it. Right down here, there's another miracle. I'm going to ask God to let me know who it is. But he's requiring of me at this moment to simply describe the illness and ask you to respond. It is a woman 
somewhere out here in the middle. You have five illnesses in your body. The dominant one that God has allowed me to know is the constant pain in your head, chronic headaches that come all the time. And he wants to heal you right now. Now, this man obeyed the Lord by standing up. Your act of obedience is to take your hand, whoever you are, and put it right over your forehead right now and let the power of God touch you. Just do it. You say, Mario, people are looking at me. Don't even think about that. Close your eyes. In fact, everybody close your eyes. Put your hand on your forehead, honey. Now look at me. Look at me, please. Right here. I know this lady on the aisle is being healed, but you're the one that needs to stand up. Stand up right now. I need a woman of God from this church to walk over and stand beside her in leadership. One of the women in leadership, just go and stand beside her. Thank you for doing that. Dear, would you meet her out in the aisle? Yes. Now, sweetheart, I was correct. Five things. Five things in your body. One of them is in your blood. And you're scared. You're scared of the symptoms that you have. Not only because of the history of this disease in your family, but because of things in your life that have attacked you. Now I want you to listen to me. You don't have to do this on your own. The faith of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is going to get in you. And you're going to feel power in your feet. Your eyes are going to be healed. Something inside of your mouth is going to be healed. Something in the stomach is being healed. See, I'm hitting every one of these exactly because I'm operating under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And for all of you, give all the glory to Jesus and not to a man. I don't have nail-pierced hands. I don't have a scar on my side. He paid for this. This is his work, not mine. Now, dear, I'm going to tell you one more thing. Before you receive the total use of your lungs, your neck, eyes, back, and legs, and all the pain leaves you, I want you to look at me. You're in the battle of your life right now. You've been attacked on every side. You need a miracle financially. You need a miracle in your family. You have been so attacked that you don't, you've said, I don't even know how I'm going to face tomorrow. You said that today. I don't even know how I'm going to face tomorrow. And now God has heard your cry because you wept and you cried out to God. You said, God, I need a miracle in my house. I need a miracle in my finance. I need a miracle in my body. Your parents need a miracle. Your family needs a miracle. But God's going to make an example out of you of his goodness and his mercy right now. Your lungs are opening up. Take a deep breath right now. You couldn't breathe before. Now you can breathe perfectly. Take a deep breath. You're being healed by the power of God right now. 
Now, now, the pain in your head is from stress. You have a knot in the back of your neck. I want the woman of God who's a leader in the church that's with her, touch her on the back of the neck. It'll feel like steel cables in her shoulders, in her neck, in her jaw. And the power of God is touching her right now. There goes that blood disease. There goes those migraine headaches. There goes that pain in your stomach. There goes the nervous condition. And you are literally being filled with the Holy Spirit right now. Everybody pray in the heavenly language right now. The Spirit of God falls. Everybody open your heart to God. Raise your hands and receive from the hand of God. Everybody begin praying out loud. Everybody draw on the presence and the anointing of God. God, I give you the glory. I give you the I'm telling you, Jesus is in this house right now. Jesus. Clap your hands, everybody, please. Clap your hands very loud. It's a miracle. It's a miracle.